Well, good morning, MCC. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. For those of you who are joining us online, we are so honored that you take some time out of your weekend. And of all the things, of all the cat videos, dog videos, for some reason you choose to log in and watch this video. I believe that something is greater that's brought you here. And if it's your first time, let me just say, um, click on one of those links below, fill something out. If it's your first time here in person with us, uh, welcome in to MCC. Uh, we're a big crazy family uh, that loves Jesus. Uh, we, we're not perfect and we don't pretend to be, uh, but this is a place where anybody and everybody can belong. And so if you're here for the first time online, fill out one of those cards. We'd love to get in touch with you and connect with you. If you're here in person, we can do that after the worship service as well. Uh, for the kids in the room, kids, make some noise. All right, all right, that was weak. Okay, come on, kids. You're missing it. Come on. You've been so preconditioned to be quiet. Um, it's all good, though. Um, for the kids in the room, today, uh, Trent's three things. Uh, we're going to be diving into three different countries, okay? So be listening for three countries, and uh, we'll be good there. We'll, we'll do three countries. We're going to practice your, uh, your homeschool mom's geography skills. We're going to put those to the test this morning and see how it goes. Hey, before we dive in, so where we're going today, I got, I got two big things I want to announce and bring to you guys' attention. First thing, I'm going to hit it and kind of move on because you're definitely going to be getting a lot of information on this in the, the weeks to come. Uh, we have, again, and throughout this whole COVID season, we've been trying to figure out what's the best plan, what's the best strategy, and how can we do things uh, with, with what's best in mind for the families of our church. And I'm happy to announce that on September 27th, Sunday, September 27th, that's going to be the day where we are going to open back up our children's ministry. So uh, on Sunday, April 27th, don't stop, quit, get out of here. <laughs> the parents in the room re are rejoicing right now for those of you who are watching online. Um, maybe some of you who are watching online, that's some of the reason. You've got like five kids under five and you're like, bro, we're watching from home. I'm not bringing them out here. It's crazy. Y'all kick us out. Uh, one, we wouldn't have kicked you out. But two, now that we are open back up children's ministry, uh, my prayer is that we're going to continue to see in a very healthy, COVID-conscious way, God continue to, to grow our church. The next thing I want to talk to you about has really, I mean, I mean this with no exaggeration, has been on my heart since I became the pastor here at MCC. MCC, I, I've said it multiple times, you are a weird church in the best way possible. Here, here's a couple of the ways you, you're weird, is you're very diverse. Uh, you're diverse ethnically, but you're also diverse uh, what, what people around the church will call intergenerationally. What that means is there's old people and there's young people. And if you've been around mo most churches, you know that's rare. There's the church where the old people go, and there's the church where the young people go. And neither of them like the other one's church, right? You, you know, I don't want to go to church with you, Grandma. And this, I don't want to go to my grandkids' church because the music is too loud, and the pastor, you know, he, he didn't have a tie on, or whatever. There's all those different things. What I love about this church is we lay aside those things, and we say we want to see the gospel spread, we want to see disciples made, and we want to see people learn how to walk with Jesus. And, and that's, I think, we've made that the center and the focus of what we do. And I think that's why our church looks like it does. And because of that, I realize that in this season that we've been, uh, two things have become overwhelmingly aware to me. That this season has been hard on, on two demographics specifically. For our people who are 60 plus, who, who are maybe older, who are maybe a little bit more susceptible to, to COVID, who've been a little bit more susceptible to the ramifications of what it would have cost them if they would have caught it, it's been very hard. Loneliness, depression, the inability to maybe do some of the projects that they want to do to lose some friends, even to lose loved ones to this. And then the other side is it's families, especially families with kids who are in elementary, middle, and high school. This idea of I'm parenting and I'm teaching and I'm um, having to wonder about what all is going on online and all these different things. And so what we want to do 
is we believe that there is so much untapped potential in both of these people, from a younger generation to an older generation. And what we want to do, and this is a continuation of our discipleship strategy, is we want to start this thing called Family Plus. Family Plus. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about what that is. Here's the deal. We as a church want to take this beautiful thing that is the vitality of a younger generation. People like me, my wife, you know, again, we, we don't feel very vital all the time, but we, we are young. We are, life is happening, but that's us. And then you have an older generation. An older generation has wisdom and oftentimes has something that's very you know, valuable commodity that oftentimes a younger generation doesn't have in time. The time to be able to invest back, whether you're retired, whether you're an empty nest or whatever. And so what we're longing to do is to create a discipleship strategy where we partner families together one-to-one. Where maybe you are a 60-plus family with empty nesters and you're both retired. That you say, hey, we're going to mentor, love, and care for a young family who they moved here from Pennsylvania and they don't have any family around. They don't have anybody they can call for child care. They don't have anybody they can call when the mom's on her third pair of underwear that she's changing uh, doo-doo out of because the kid is, just cannot get potty training. She's ready to pull all of her hair out to have somebody she can call and go, help, what did you do? So what we're going to do, and again, uh, you guys are, are going to learn this about me as your pastor. I'm much more of a less implement a good plan next week than the perfect plan next year. I believe by the time we get to next year and your perfect plan has happened, I will have already tweaked my good plan five different times and it will already be perfect. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try this out. I, I believe that life is too short to leave uh, low-hanging fruit on the trees. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite you guys into some of these relationships. So if you're, you're maybe that person who you're sitting at the home, kind of in your rocking chair, watching the news, and you're like, you know what, I kind of have more to give. Where I'm getting ready to give you an opportunity to be surrogate grandparents, and for some of you, a voice of wisdom, fatherly influence, someone who somebody else can borrow tools from, all those things that you really do get joy out of doing. And for those of you who maybe you're a younger family, and you're burning the candle at both ends. You can't remember the last time you had a date night. And you need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to help. You, you see all your friends who are close by. And they're like, oh, we'll drop the kids off at my mom's. And so we went to St. Simon's this weekend. And you're like, I hate you, kind of. Like, we, <laughs> we want to help. And so here's how you can get involved with this. Now, again, I, I, again, I don't know exactly how this is going to go. But I just feel convicted to try it. Um, we're going to allow you guys to sign up. You can sign up in person back there for this. If you're a family, you and your wife are like, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's partner with this. And maybe you're, you're a younger family and you're like, yes, let's make this happen. Now, again, there is no, like, you don't have to be, you can be a single family. You can be a single woman who's an empty nester or retired. Or you can be a widow. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what the family looks like. If you're a person who says, I want to pour in and be something that bridges the gap between the generations, this is for you. Because here's the deal, and this is why we call it Family Plus. We believe that the cross, the plus, it is greater than anything, any blood that could be our DNA and that it can bind and it can connect and the family that you can have in the family of God can oftentimes fill in the blanks that maybe you're missing even in your own family. So if you want to sign up for this, you can text FAMILY to 770-450-1555. You can text that there. There's going to be a short, simple way to be able to sign up for that. Or if you're like, I don't do that. And you're probably in that one who are like, I'm, gonna buy, I'm about to get somebody to go pick up my groceries demographic. 
You can go right there to the back, and you can sign up. We have sign-ups back there. Tim Shaney and uh, Rachel will be back there. Uh, they'd love to get you plugged in for that, because here's the deal. What we do in these rows is great, but everybody needs somebody, and we need families. We, we need each other to be able to help, and I believe that the vitality and the energy that we have in our young families, that this church is continuing to grow and be a part of, and then the wisdom that's found in the older families in our church, that God is going to do amazing things through these relationships, because that's what church and that's what life is all about. And my prayer is that you would take a bold, brave step and say, I'm going to do something different. I, I don't know what this commitment is going to look like. You say, like, how many times do I got to meet? I don't know. At least once a month, you, you do something, you bring, you bring pizza over, you get to know their grandkids, you get to know them. I don't know. But we're going to try it out. And we're going to do something. that's a little bit different, but I believe is a little bit more like what the church that we read about in the Bible was actually like. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. As we get ready to dive into that today, God, I pray it speaks to us, hits us right where it needs to, and changes us in a way that only your word could do. In your name, Jesus, amen. We're going to start out today with a big, scary question, okay? Online people, can you handle a big, scary question this early in the stream? I hope so. Here's a question. What is the one thing? And this one thing may be a person. What is the one thing that if you lost that thing, you would almost lose the will to live life itself? What's the one thing that if you lost that one thing, all significance and all value would seemingly be drained out of your life? What is that one thing for you? See, we all, we all have those things, right? And for a lot of us, what we don't realize is that one thing, as tug on our heart powerful as it is that one thing is the very thing that is most susceptible to being an idol that gets in the way of our relationship with God I want to read you a passage of scripture that that many of you especially if you're an older generation this actually used to hang on the wall in a public school classroom can you believe this listen to what I'm getting ready to read you it's actually from the Ten Commandments it's where God right off the bat says here's the deal I'm taking this idol thing very seriously Exodus 20 Verses 1 through 6, this is what it says. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, verse 3 is the beginning of the first command of God. First command, right off the bat. Telling them how to do life. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4. Verse 4 is the start of, of, of command number 2. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. Now, if you're keeping track right there, commandment one, no idols, only worship God. Commandment two, just kind of a different version of the same thing. It's like God said, no idols, command number one. Command number two, no idols. I just don't want you to worship idols. And maybe you haven't realized this or not, but the reason that God, from the get-go, in setting up his rules for how your life will be best lived, again, not in a way that constrains you, but in a way that actually gives you the freedom, the joy, and the pleasure out of life that you actually want. He says the first thing is you can't have any other gods before me, and you can't make any other thing that you would worship that would be that God that comes before me. And here's why he says that. And what maybe you didn't realize. Anytime you break commands three through 10, what you unknowingly have already done is broken commands 1 and 2. 
See, the reason that one and two are the way they are, and they're the, they're the first and the second, is because every command that you would break otherwise, and every sin that you would commit otherwise, happens because of what you did against one and two. So if I go and, and commit adultery, I commit adultery because I valued pleasure and satisfaction more than I valued following God's ordinances for a godly marriage. If I lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead and make a buck, I did those things because money was my God and God was not my God. Now, when we have a conversation about idols and idol worship, and I know we don't talk about this a whole lot in church, a lot of times when we start to think about idols and idol worship, we think about this is just something that must have happened like a really long time ago and just Bible times and that's what they were doing. Or we think maybe it's like this present day Indiana Jones like tribe in Peru worshiping golden monkeys type of thing. Like that's not anything that we would do here in our country. But the reality is we have idols too. And some of them are more dangerous and more silly than the idols that we even see and we think about when we, when we tend to hear about this. I, I would define idolatry as this. Idolatry is valuing something more than you value God. Idolatry is just valuing anything more than you value God. It's anything in your life. Think about it like this. It's anything in your life that is more fundamental than God for your happiness, your meaning in life, and your identity. Your happiness, your meaning in life, and your identity. Anything that's more fundamental for those things. Now, again, we're having a conversation around parenting here. Parents, for a second. Whether or not your kids are in the room or, or they're out somewhere else. Think about that. In regards to your meaning in life, your happiness, and your identity. How often were your children tied to those three things? See, the reality is for all of us, and if we're going to have an honest conversation about parenting, we've got to understand that there is probably nothing that is more susceptible to become an idol in our life if we have children than children themselves. And see, obviously, kids and the reality they can become idols, it does not mean that they are necessarily bad things. We all would agree that kids are a gift from God. Their life should be valued and protected. We shouldn't say, oh, you're idols. We're going to throw you in a volcano and just get rid of you so we don't worship you. That's not how we do things. But what I need you to understand is that it's actually good things in our lives are most susceptible for us worshiping them as idols because they give us hope because at the end of the day, they were all created to point us towards the love of God. And they were supposed to be able to show us more of the love that God can only give us. Now, in regards to idolatry, I found this quote by St. Augustine. Uh, early church father, and it's so informative. It helps me be able to understand how my heart works. Again, a lot of times when we think about sin, all right, we think about sin as like, I said that cuss word, I shouldn't say that cuss word. Well, oftentimes when we think about sin, it's just the bad behavior we did. He had a deeper root that I wanted you to, to be able to see today. Listen to what he said. He said, the essence of sin is disordered love. Say it again. The essence of sin is disordered love. What he's after there is he's saying, Sin occurs when we love something second that should be fourth. When we love something first that should be fourth. And see, you all, we all have the things in our life where they think get out of order. I mean, take it, take it like this. Like, it's great to have a job that you love. And, and, and working and providing for your family should be a priority. And your family, like we should prioritize family time. We should be, you know, there and we should make those calls and we should do those things and we should build those deep relationships. But at the end of the day, if family gets dropped down and becomes below 
our job. We as a culture who would say, well, we don't believe in child sacrifices. There are families all over McDonough, all over South Atlanta, where child sacrifice is happening at the altar of income, at the altar of career, at the altar of making another buck. Now, it's, it's a much slower one, but it's still happening. And what I want us to understand today is in regards to the idols that we can set up as, as kids, it's a dangerous place because what's happening in those moments is we're actually worshiping something. Now, if you're in the room and you can be the most like against God, staunch atheist, if you're watching online, you can be an atheist. We all worship something. We all value and praise and care for something. I want you to understand something about worship. Here's what worship does. It does four things. It defines you, what you worship. It defines you. It defends your peace. It delights your soul, and it directs your steps. Let me walk you through this, practically speaking, so you can understand what I'm talking about. Let's just go with one that nobody in this room struggle with, money. Um, you worship money? Well, money defines you. And I'm a good person or a bad person, or a successful person or a non-successful person, based off of how much money I have. It defends my peace. So based on whether or not my income is up or my income is down, my peace is up or my peace is down. It delights my soul. I'm able to have pleasure because I know I have enough to relax. And I feel secure. And my soul can rest because I've got enough. And it directs my steps. I'll go wherever there's more. Talk to you about parenting in regards to it defining you. Man, so many of us, we can be defined as a parent. You know, you go to a baseball field on, on a Saturday and you'll see on the back of mom's and dad's jerseys, you know, Braden's dad, Susie's mom everywhere we, we define ourselves by them the other side is you know they defend our peace and so if crazy stuff is happening in their life we have no peace if we're stressed about them if their things are stressful we don't have any peace they delight our soul when they do good our souls delight when they do bad our souls are crushed and then we direct our steps we go and do whatever they want us to We'll run to this game, we'll run to that practice, to that recital, all the way across the country to be able to let them go and, and play a flute in the Rose Bowl Parade. We'll do all these things and direct our steps to do whatever we can to let our lives potentially revolve around them if they're our idol. And this is dangerous because there's only one thing, guys, that was created to define you, to defend you, to be what your soul delights in and to direct your step. And it is God. And that's why God sets up right from the get-go of why he hates idols. Because he knows there is nothing out there that's capable of defining you. There's nothing out there that's capable of defending your peace. There's nothing capable of directing your steps but the God who made you. He says, if you're worshiping anything else, you're on a path to destruction. In regards to our kids... We want to raise kids who know that God, right? We want kids to be able to trust Him and love Him and see Him for who He really is. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The best way to make sure that your kids don't know God is to treat them like they are. And that's hard. It's hard not to let our lives revolve around those little lives. And this is any relationship. This could be marriage. This could be with a boyfriend or girlfriend. If you want them to not find God, treat them like they are your God. What I want to walk you through in our time here, especially as we talk about kids, one of the things you got to know off the bat is that kids, as much as we may have a propensity to set them up as idols, 
they are still only surface idols. See, there's surface idols, and then there are root idols. There are things that are kind of on the surface. Now, again, this is the people, this is the person who, you know, they wake up in the morning, they do 4,000 sit-ups because their body and their image is become an idol to them. There's the person who will lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead and get a little bit more money because money is an idol to them. There are people who will do all sorts of crazy things to uh, get, get a just fun or pleasure because adrenaline and that thrill of adventure is an idol for them. But all of those idols, they're surface idols. And today I want to take you to a deeper place because even if you're in this room and you do have a propensity to set your kids up and let your life revolve around them to get your identity, your source of joy for them to defend your peace at best, they're just a surface idol and there are four key root idols they're at the root of anything that we would put above God there are four of them and listen, as I walk through these you're going to be able to find yourself in these root idols if you're a 12 year old, you're going to be able to find these if you're 112 years old watching this you're still going to be able to find these in here and some of you, you're going to go Trent, what do I do if I'm all four? And that's okay. We're going to walk through that. I had a conversation with somebody after the first service, and they're like, yeah, like, I feel like I'm, like, all for it. And I'm like, it's okay. I think we've got to work through it with you. We're going to, we'll, we'll keep tracking. But here they are. Let's walk through these together. Root idols. Root idols. First one. First root idol that we can have. And you, again, find where you're at in this. First root idol is comfort. We, we worship comfort. And comfort, this is a longing for pleasure. This is the person. And again, on all of these what you get to the place where you worship is where you say, my life only has meaning and I only have worth if blank. And so here, it's my life only has meaning and I only have worth if this kind of pleasure experience or if I have this particular quality of life. This is a person who wants to go, I just got to have my vacation to Greece. I just want to be able to experience good things. I want to have a lack of stress, peace, privacy, and this is the type of person who longs for the freedom. They won't commit. You'll say, hey, are you going to come to the birthday party this weekend? And they're like, we got to see how things are going. You know that person, right? The person who you know when they text, when you, when they text you back, um, we'll see what we can do. You know that's really no, right? Yeah. Sorry for outing some of you, some of you people. I've, I've been guilty myself. If you worship comfort, you're the person who is willing to pray the price of productivity the price that you'll pay to be able to keep that God of comfort is productivity you won't do some things because you know that they would cost you and, and you're, you're willing to, to to not do the hard things because you'd rather just have the comfort the nightmare here for someone who worships comfort is stress and demands I don't want to go into a relationship that's going to be stressful I don't want to go into a role that's going to be stressful I just want things to be comfortable and others around them those who worship comfort. Others around them often feel hurt. They often feel hurt because laziness. Laziness always has collateral damage. In regards to parenting, and really just relationships in general, one of the things you've got to understand about this, if, if comfort is the idol you worship, relationships, deep, good, like heartfelt, the relationships that you hang your hat on, that are most important ones in your life, they're always going to be incredi incredibly difficult for you. You know why? If you worship comfort, there is no such thing as a relationship that is deep, that does not require a little bit of pain. Any marriage is going to have to go through that. Any relationship with your kids is going to have to go through that. That's why if you're a parent and your predisposition is to worship comfort as an idol, you're going to fight to address the hard issues. And your home is going to be one of those ones that's really susceptible to be able to ones, ones where you can walk in and you can't see it, but you can feel it. There's a giant lump 
under the carpet out there in the middle from everything that's been swept under that rug year after year after year because nobody wanted to have an uncomfortable conversation with a kid, with a spouse, or an extended relative. That's what happens when we're circumferent. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. And you're worshiping the comfort. You get to this place where you're unable to have the deep relationships that Jesus wants you to have. And oftentimes, these are people you see bounce around either from family to family, from job to job, and even from church to church. Because the idea of a deep relationship and the pain that may come from that, or the stress that may come from that, is not enough for them to make it stick. Next, root idol is control. We worship the ability to be able to control things. This is a longing to have everything go according, not to just a plan, my plan, my plan. And see, this is the person who says, my life only has meaning, I only have worth if I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of blank, whatever that is. I'm able to get mastery over my life in the area of parenting. I'm able to get mastery in my life in the area of my career. Whatever it is, I want to be able to control it. This is the type of person who seeks control, self-discipline, certainty. And they seek having standards. The price that they're willing to pay for this is loneliness and spontaneity. You ever notice that the, per- the people who are the control freaks are oftentimes that the people want to be around the least? Nobody wants to be controlled. God placed some of that inside of us. And they lose the ability to be spontaneous. They're the person who you text, hey, uh, we're having this party four weeks from now. Uh, We'd love for you guys to come. And they're like, nope. I already know what I'm doing four months from now, and that's not going to fit in the schedule. And you're like, gosh, wow, that's intense. Jeez. These are the type of people who have the problem emotion of worry. It's constant worry. They find themselves trapped in, in what I would refer to as the control cyclone. It goes a little bit like this. I try to control something, and then I figure out I can't. And then I worry, and then I try harder, and then I can't. And so I try harder, and then I can't. And then I worry some more, and then I try harder. And what you find yourself is spiraling, spiraling, spiraling until you get to that place where the cycle actually goes faster and faster as you get to the center that is eventually a panic attack, burnout, or something worse. This is a person who, when they come to grips with the fact that they can't change something, it doesn't lead them to surrender. It leads them to try harder, to grasp and grasp at control. The mantra of someone who worships control, and you're going to be able to fill in the blank. Track with me here. If I want it done right, I'll do it myself. That's a mantra of the person who worships control. It finds its way into marriages, into jobs, into workplaces, and churches. Third, root idol is power. Power. Power is this longing for influence and recognition. Again, now check on your predisposition, on the things that you long for. It's a longing for influence and recognition. And what they say here is my life only has meaning, I only have worth if I have the power and influence over other people. When I say jump, people say how high? This person seeks success, winning, influence. And the price that they're willing to pay for this is the burden of responsibility. They're willing to say, I'll be the president of the parent-teacher association. I don't care if when things hit the fan, the results are on me. I'm fine with that. I just want to be the one who's in charge. 
I'll drive. They're the one who, when you ask who wants to drive, they're like, I'm driving. I don't want anybody, I don't want my life to be anybody else's hands. They're the person who says, I want to get to the top of the ladder. I want all the company to be on my shoulders. I want to be the one in charge. And I'm willing, for the sake of getting power, to bear all the weight of that responsibility. person who worships power, their greatest nightmare is humiliation. The humiliation that would come from a loss. Because for someone who worships power, it's not just about winning. It's about not losing. And the humiliation that comes when people around them, publicly oftentimes, see them as being a loser. The problem emotion here is anger. If you're the type of person who people often describe you, or, or maybe you even describe yourself as someone with a short fuse, then you likely, friend, are the person who is most susceptible to the idol of power. They gain your identity from competition. They, they want to be better than the rest. The, the fiercer the challenge, the better. Now hear me, guys. There's nothing wrong with competition. Winning is great, but winning makes a terrible God. This is the type of person who's oftentimes prone to addiction. Things like gambling. Things like video games. Their hearts are most exposed when they lose. And the bigger the loss, the more exposure. The last root idol that I want to walk you through and again hopefully you're, you're figuring out maybe as we go a little bit you're starting to pick up little pieces of both and kind of make your little messed up mosaic together the fourth root idol is approval this is a longing to be accepted or desired this is a person who says my life only has meaning I only have worth if I am loved and respected by blank my boss my kids my husband my in-laws that their approval and their respect is the main thing. This is the person who seeks that affirmation. They seek love. They seek relationships. They seek applause. They'll do what they have to. This is the person who oftentimes is a center of attention. The price that they're willing to pay here is independence. They're willing to be the person who has all sorts of people around them. This is the person who doesn't need space. They're the person who always needs someone in their life. They're the person that as soon as one relationship ends romantically, they have another one the next day. This is the person who has to have somebody to pat them on the back close by. And people around them, the people who worship approval, the people around them, they often smell, feel smothered by them because that person is looking for the other people around them to give them things that only God can give. The people in this scenario, if you're worshiping this, you've got to understand that even the people who say, I, I don't care what other people think about me, and oftentimes this is how guys with the approval thing, we even say that, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. We, we're saying that and then going, you guys hear that? Did you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oftentimes that's the guy who does care the most. And these are the people who overcommit, they overengage, they say yes to way too many things because they want everybody to feel good about them see the danger here for a lot of these people is the emotion that they struggle with is cowardice and when they lay their head down on the pillow at night they have a hard time really believing that they have a spine and that they're not a coward here's why they're so concerned with giving everybody else the opinion that they think they want to hear that they don't develop their own.
And so they placate to everybody around them so that they can get everybody around them's approval. And sometimes for us, like as parents, let's just be honest here. Man, this is one that can be, we can be really susceptible to. Of I want my kids' approval. I had a really hard childhood life, and I, man, I just want my kids to have it better than I did. And so we do the things that cause us to lose our spine as parents. To, do the, to not do the hard work of discipline. And as we walk through these, my hope is that you have maybe found yourself somewhere in here. In the time that I have left, I want to walk you through how God sets himself up as a better solution to these idols that we can walk into. If you're taking notes and you're thinking through, um, maybe, maybe I'm the person who, who struggles with this comfort thing. Maybe I'm the one who has a, kind of more of a comfort idol. What I want you to understand is that God isn't opposed to your comfort. But he gives you your comfort for a reason. I want you to see it here in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Look what it says. It says, Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Let me just, you, you, you may not know this, but you have not yet experienced all comfort. Like you could go to the Italian vacation on the, on the shores and just beautiful sandy beaches, all these other types of things. But listen, the comfort that you can experience in this world compares nothing to the comfort that comes from God. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, don't miss this, comfort worshipers. This God who has the unlimited ability to comfort you in the midst of your life. I want you to see why he does that. In our world and society where it's like retire and go pick up seashells on the beach. Why why do we get comfort from God? Right here. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Any comfort that you're able to grasp in your life, you should be able to hold on to just long enough to pass on to someone who needs it. That's comfort. That's why you have it. If you're the type of person in the room and, and it's, it's control for you and, and you're, you're worshiping control, I want you to understand that, that there is this thing called control and there's this thing called the illusion of control. And you in your life have only experienced the illusion of control because there is a God up in heaven with the remote control. He's got it in his hands and whatever happens in your life that you think you are controlling first happened to pass by him. And listen, he's not an evil God. He's not a malicious God. He's a good, loving, caring, heavenly father. He wants you to surrender to his control. That's why he said what he said in Romans 8, 28. First, oftentimes we hear, he said this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now again, he puts a big but for those who love God. All right, so you kind of got to be in that category. We got to love God, which means that we can't love other gods ahead of them. Even good gods, like our kids, like our marriage, like our job. I can't love any of those little G gods more than capital G, God himself. If I love him first, listen to what the rest of the promise says. All things work together for good. So if you love and worship control, you've got to understand that God is a much better person to love than the control. And that only when you surrender to his control you're able to experience actually things working together, not your way, but his way. And listen, it's kind of counterintuitive, but his way is more for your good than your way. If you're the type of person who you find yourself worshiping power and you want the influence, you want the responsibility, you want to be in charge, I want you to understand something. You, you, 
power is this thing where we talk about being power hungry. You know, that's one of the things you hear in the marketplace, you, you know, here, you know, in marriage. We're power hungry people. And some of you have power hungry in-laws and they drive you crazy. And we call it power hungry because it's this mental image of taking something that is external and ingesting it to me. But I want you to understand how biblical power works. It's not something I reach for, I grab for, I claw, fight, and kill for. Power is something different in regards to the Bible. That's why in Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work, underline it, highlight it, you power worshipers, never forget it. It is a power that is within you. Your best attempts to grab whatever power you want to have over whoever it may be in your life will always fall short and they will be like a wet bar of soap in your hands as you squeeze harder and harder. It will continually slip away. There's a better power and it's one that starts within you. And it, to accomplish infinitely more than you would ever in your small little brain be able to think, ask, or imagine. And guys, that's, that's God's power. And lastly, for those of you who, like me, you find yourself very susceptible to allowing the approval of other people to be the God you worship in your life. I want you to know a foundational truth has radically changed who I am and relieved me of an addiction from approval. It's this. I don't have to live for the approval of man because the Son of Man died to give me the approval of God. And that's enough. Now, I love this verse, and, and we're getting ready to sing a song that actually kind of talks about this verse. It's Numbers 6, 24 through 26. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift you up in his countenance and upon you and give you peace. I love the idea of, of God's face shining upon you. It's the imagery of, of a loving father seeing his son, seeing his daughter, seeing them as the apple of their eye. And being seen in their eyes as one who is worthy of love, worthy of affection. Parents, you know that. You know even your kid when they're just boogers out of their nose and macaroni and cheese in the air. Man, they can just still give you that big, wide-eyed, sometimes with teeth-missing grin. And you just look at them and something in your heart softens. Because you know that thing is your child. And you love them. Mess and all. And you've got to understand that that's when God looks at you, friend. That's what he sees. He approves of you. Not based off of anything that you've done because you could have never, ever done enough. But off what his perfect son, who never made a mess, did to clean up ours. And today, as we end this series, I, I want to do something different that we've never done here. You know, we, I know we've done child dedications. And so today is almost going to, in essence, feel a little bit like a child rededication. I thought since we have kids in the room, uh, it'd be a greater chance now or never to, you know, to take up this opportunity. And for those who, who are watching online, I would say, you know, if your kids are in the room, you know, call, call them down, get them beside you, or maybe press pause and come back to this later in the week. Because what I want to do in this moment is I want to invite you to join my family as we come down here and again you know over and over throughout scripture you you hear people like bringing their children not laying them down on the altar as as you know sacrifices but laying them down as an altar and saying god i'm surrendering this child to you and i'm asking your blessing and your favor upon this child so that generations of faith will continue to go on and on and on and so what i'm going to invite you parents in the room to do 
is to, in a second, to just make your way forward and, and join the Schumach family. We're going to be up here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a big prayer over us that the faith that God has started in so many of you will continue on for generations and generations. And we're going to pray over the families of this church, whether you're watching online or you're here in person. We're going to pray over the families of this church. Now, listen, I know in general what you need. But after I say amen, I don't want you to go back to your seat. I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to get out of the spirit of prayer. I want you right there where you're at with your child, regardless if you're a single parent, regardless if you're a widow, regardless if you're coming up as a whole big old family. Regardless, I want you to, with your child, hand in hand, pray specifically for them by name. Pray over the predispositions you see in their life. Pray over the wounds that you know they've already experienced. Pray over the things that they already think negatively about themselves. Pray over their future. Pray for their spouses. Pray that in this world that they live in, they would would grow up and the only thing that they would be addicted to is the love of Christ. Pray against their mental health. Praying that God would relieve them of the anxiety and the stress and the pressures that they're going to feel in this world. Pray specifically for your child. Now, if you're sitting here, or you're watching online, and you're like, I wish with everything in me that I had a hand to walk forward. Let me tell you, first of all, do not believe in the lie of the enemy who would tell you you are worth less because you don't have the arm of another human being who bears your last name to be able to walk forward here. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. From the get-go of this message, I told you this, that the blood of Christ makes us a stronger family than DNA ever could. And so these kids who you're going to see up here, this is the church, they're your kids. We we are each other's. And you, some of you in this room, you're young, got a lot of young people right here. You have future families. Begin to think about your kids. Begin to to get a vision for your kids. Here's the reality. Maybe you don't realize this. For those of you in this room who are longing to have kids, who are longing to get married, regardless of whether you realize it or not, Satan has an amazing plan in his book for your children, for your future marriage, and for your future kids. He has got it all laid out, and it doesn't end pretty. And we're silly if we don't have a vision for our families, if we don't pray and wake up and go, God, we're going to be different. God, I'm not trying to raise well-rounded kids. You told me that these kids were arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. I'm going to make them sharp. I'm going to make them kids who the gates of hell fear, and they push them back. And I'm going to do that through surrendering them to you. That's what it looks like to be the family of God. Allow sparks to start in our heart that burn as bright flames for generation to generation so that homes, cities, countries, and worlds look different because of this thing we have on the inside of us. So I'm going to invite you now. If you have kids in the room, I know it may be messy, it may be awkward, spread out all through up here. I'm going to invite you to grab a hand of a kid and find your way down. I'm going to pray over us. And then we're going to sing a song over you. And I invite you in that moment turn the corner and you start praying specifically for your child.
Father God, as these families make their way forward, I pray that as we as we walk, God, and as we sit and we kneel, that we would be found on paths of truth. Jesus, you said that you are the way and the truth and the life. And that nobody finds their way into the family where we all were created to be, the family of the Father, if they do not first come through you. So Jesus, I pray as, as hands are being held, as, as there's, there's kids in diapers and there's kids who were reluctant to come up here because they're in teenage years where this feels embarrassing to them. God, I pray that they understand that it is through prayer that miraculous things happen. That it is through prayer, God, that you move mountains. That it is through faith that you change generations. And God, I pray for these families. I pray that bonds will be broken. I pray that sins will be forgiven. I pray that generational curses would, would be gone. That family trees that for, for years and years and years did not bear any fruit, God, will begin to see tides turn and fruit to be bore that will last from generation to generation, God, that you will allow your face to shine upon us. God, I pray for the men who are here with me. Father, you would allow them to take up the mantle of the true spiritual leader in their home, God, that you would allow them to release any fear, any inadequacy, and that you would help them understand that you are greater inside of them. Father, I pray for the moms who are up here with me and the grandmas who are up here with me, God, that you would allow their hearts to overflow with love and compassion and care for their children. Father, I pray for the single mothers and single fathers of our church, God, that you would equip them with a double portion of your Holy Spirit to pour into their kids in ways that only you could do. Jesus, be with them. Bless us as we seek to see more people come into the family of God, to see generations change because of your grace, your love, and your mercy on us. In your name, Jesus.